Welcome to Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series on the hospitality tabletop industry. Dave is the globally known chief evangelist and editor for TabletopJournal.com. This podcast was originally published on the week of December 17th, 2018, and runs for approximately 15 to 20 minutes. Hi, everyone. It's Dave Turner again, and I want to thank you for joining us. Welcome back to our new weekly podcast series called Seat Yourself. If this is your first time with us, Seat Yourself is our 15 to 20 minute weekly take on the news and events going on within the world of hospitality tabletop. In addition, we have a segment called 60 Seconds with Shannon, where Shannon Talon, the well-known tabletop and buffetware category manager for Chicago-based Edward Downing Company, Shannon answers the question of the week each week. This week, Shannon answers the question of how does Edward Don and Company measure and evaluate its suppliers? Pretty interesting stuff. You won't want to miss that. And as we get ready to close the door on 2018, knowing how one of America's largest equipment and supplies dealers evaluates its suppliers might be really important to know. It just might change some vendors' thinkings and plan on the coming year. And as always, Shannon answers the question straightforward and unvarnished. So with that, let's get started. Starting off with our stat of the week, like we always do, this week's stat is that sparkling wine industry in the United States is expected to exceed $5.2 billion in revenue this year. That represents an increase of over 19% versus 2017. And in fact, the sparkling wine business in the U.S. is expected to stay healthy, as well with annual growth projected at 20-plus percent through the year 2021. That's pretty great news for fans of the bubbles. Having emerged as one of the greatest wine success stories in recent years, global sales of sparkling wine are predicted to grow at over 2% on, on now through the year 2021. And America will grow to become the largest importer of sparkling wine by the year 2021, overtaking the UK with Prosecco leading the charge. So we would recommend that all you suppliers of hotel and hospitality glassware take a review of your champagne glasses and your sparkling wine collections to see if you might have an opportunity to expand those ranges and offer your customers a way to freshen up this service and their sales of the bubbly wines. And perhaps, who knows, adding Prosecco-specific glassware shapes really could be an area of opportunity for you. In industry news this past week, word comes that French luxury goods company LVMH has agreed to acquire Belmont Limited. They're the London-based operator and owner of high-end hotels are all around the world. LVMH is best known for its luxury lifestyle brands like Fendi, Louis Vuitton, and uh, champagne maker Dom Perignon and wines like Cheval Blanc and, and so forth. Interestingly enough, uh, LVMH already has uh, a luxury hotel brand in the Bulgari brand. And for its part, Belmont has full or partial ownership of 36 hotels around the world, making it one of the last hotel operators to own most of the properties that it manages. Their high-profile name properties include Cipriani in Venice, the Grand Hotel in St. Petersburg, and the Copacabana in Rio de Janeiro. But Belmont also owns luxury, the luxury train, uh, the Orient Express, the Venice Simplon Orient Express, and they also own the 21 Club the restaurant in New York City, so it's an interesting combination. And with younger consumers moving more from an ownership mentality when it comes to luxury goods to an experiential mentality, LVMH seems, uh, uh, seems focused on the trying to adjust their, their uh, categories and to provide current and future generations with more upscale experiences, more than just uh, upscale products. Uh, those upscale experiences obviously going to include now upper-end hotels and dining and fine restaurants. LVMH is an interesting company that we watch. And we certainly will see how this trend 
uh, goes on in the hospitality and where it might take them from here. From our folder titled Possibly Useless Bits of Information comes the news that coral is going to be the 2019 color of the year from the folks at Pantone. Described as a shade of orange with a gold undertone, Pantone expects the color coral to show up in everything from kitchen accessories to food and beauty products. We're glad there are people out there that think about this type of thing and guide us on things like color, and, and I'm actually being very serious about this. I also agree with Pantone's thinking of connecting color to nature and how particular colors in our lives can be nurturing and so forth. In the highly digitized world that we live in these days, connecting nature and getting comfort from our tactile surroundings continues to be more important than we all may realize. It's that same sentiment that makes me say that dining out with family and friends is really, really important in our lives these days. And that's why eating out and tabletop products and the impact that they have on that dining out experience really is critical. But from a practical standpoint, I'm never quite sure how my behavior is going to change today or tomorrow when I learn that coral is 2019's color of the year. But there you have it, coral. It's the color chosen by Pantone as 2019 color of the year. In this week's product and brand segment, I want to mention a company that has, for the past several years, really evolved and shown true agility in their product development, but also their go-to-market strategy. And that's Chicago-based American Metalcraft. It wasn't so many years ago that American Metalcraft was known as simply a plate cover and pizza pan company. More, their, more of a back-of-the-house company than front-of-the-house company, for sure. But the leadership team at American Metalcraft has done an excellent job of transitioning and bringing great front-of-the-house products, great tabletop solutions, and more to the marketplace. From developing the products to getting their message out, American Metalcraft has been a great story of evolution and change to watch, and it's unfolding right before our very eyes for over the past decade. Not too long ago, a few more examples of what I'm speaking about showed up in our inbox. American Metalcraft has recently launched a new small line, really small line, only a handful of items, but they're metal sauce cups and they're in two finishes and they're in multiple sizes. No biggie, but fun stuff nonetheless. Included in that same outbound email was the announcement of several rimmed oval ash wood serving boards that they were launching. Nothing earth shattering, mind you, but just the kind of thing you can do, a restaurant can really use to freshen up its restaurant tabletop without really breaking the bank. And that's what American Metalcraft's all about, isn't it? Having the courage to dramatically change the company you're in and its, and its persona makes me tip my hat to the ownership and the leadership of the top management at American Metalcraft. But also having the vision to properly tell the industry of these new products and this new story is really a, a coup for them as well. American Metalcraft's marketing team is one of our industry's most focused and most innovative. We continue to preach that three things build strong brands, authenticity, consistency, and frequency. Well, American Metalcraft is a great example of a company that over the past decade has refreshed its brand and changed its persona. So as we wind down the year and look forward to the upcoming uh, NAFM show, add American Metalcraft to your must-see list while you're in Orlando. Another brand we love is Cerex. Cerex is an Antwerp, Belgian-based company started over 30 years ago that's still a family business that has lots of passion. And we like, no, no, in fact, we love companies with lots of passion. To us, Cerex seems to be fundamentally a design and marketing company. They work with designers who are both well-known and some who may be lesser known. But they market all sorts of products for the home, for interiors, and certainly for the table. And yes, it's true that a lot of what Cerex might market 
might not be applicable to hospitality operator tabletops, boy, it sure is interesting stuff and you want to see it. For operators who are looking to truly differentiate their dining experience, and for operators who are really looking to appeal to a very special audience of customers, then Cerex does have products that you will definitely want to discover and learn more about. One of the more recent collections from Cerex that they've launched this year that we really like is their new Take Time collection that comes from the culinary team of Stefan and Christophe Boxy. The Boxy twins are among Belgium's most famous celebrity chefs, and they have a catering business, cookbooks, TV shows, you know the drill there. With an assist from designer Hilda de Grice, we love how Take Time pieces complement each other, and they all have that certain perfect imperfection look to them. We love that. And size-wise, the Take Time collection pieces lend themselves to sharing and more family-style designing. We like that approach. Great food, great friends and family, without much fuss, all leading to great times. So if you're an operator looking for something unique and different for your restaurant tabletop, go to Cerex.com. That's S-E-R-A-X.com. And for North American hospitality customers, Cerex is represented by the folks at Rosenthal Sambonet. You know where they live. Cerex, you won't be disappointed. Now, 60 Seconds with Shannon, where Dave asks Shannon Talon of Edward Don & Company the question of the week. This week, Shannon talks about how Edward Don & Company measures and evaluates its suppliers. Hi, we're back again with Shannon Town from the Edward Don and Company. And Shannon, you deal with vendors in primarily in the tabletop and buffetware category, but you deal with all kinds of vendors. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure at some point along the way you have to do some assessment. So how do you measure the relationships that you have with certain vendors? Is, is there a special formula you use? Uh, how, how does Edward Don see its relationships? Yeah, absolutely. So we look at it both from a qualitative and quantitative standpoint. And Edward Don has a pretty robust supplier scorecard that we generate for our supplier partners. And it is a combination of, again, those quantitative metrics, things like sales, service level, uh, all those kinds of operational supply chain elements. But then there's also a qualitative aspect that is, is a big part of it. And those are um, sales, customer service, and marketing surveys that we do. So we do uh, surveys with, our, with the 350 sales uh, professionals that we have in the market, our marketing team and our merchandising team, and also our, our purchasing customer service folks. And we ask a variety of questions on how our suppliers, uh, how they perform in certain categories and with certain questions. And our supplier partners take those very seriously. They really look to some of that qualitative information to understand how they can do better. Um, and that really supplements the numbers part of it because the numbers are great. You know, obviously sale, you know, revenue and profitability and service level and such, those are critical to our business. But if we're not getting supported in the right way, if we're not, uh, if suppliers are selling direct, if we're not sharing leads together, if we're not working together in a mutually beneficial way to grow our business together, then they fall short even if the numbers are great. So we look at both and we do uh, measure our suppliers very closely year in, year out. Do you sit down and go through those uh, we do. evaluations with the suppliers? Yeah, we absolutely do. We, we, have, we have over 300 uh, preferred suppliers to Edward Don across all of our categories. So it can be challenging to sit down and individually go through those metrics with each one. But to varying degrees, we discuss Both that information. Both formally and informally. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Great. And in multiple sit down, email, um, multiple ways of communicating it. But uh, we take that information very seriously because we know our supplier partners take it seriously. So we do our best to share that with them on a regular basis. Now here's Dave with this week's commentary. This week, Dave talks about common organizational qualities in successful companies. I recently had the pleasure of speaking at a meeting of the top management 
of a company within the hospitality tabletop segment. And one of the points they asked was, what are some of the common practices of organizations that I see in the our industry in companies that we consider successful? Well, first of all, it's a great question. And before I answered it, I had a couple of comments. Number one, all companies do some things right. And by that, I mean right for them. After all, you can't stay in business very long if you're not doing things that are right for your company. And remember, what works in one company might not really work well in others. And you have to remember, companies are often at very different points in their business trajectories, in their cultural evolutions, and I recognize that. But there are similar qualities and similar common approaches that seem to be present more often than not in successful companies than they are in companies that are, shall we say, still searching for that success. And my other comment is, of the common successful practices that we see showing up most frequently, most companies are doing at least some of those practices. So it's not like some companies do everything right and other companies do nothing right. I'm simply trying to highlight a few of the common practices that just seem to be present in companies that you might all consider successful. And you can use your own measurement when it comes to what quote unquote success means. With most companies in our industry being privately held, it's sometimes difficult to judge true financial success. So I'll admit to my own subjective assessment of what that word success means, but I think it's how we all do it anyway. We all make our own judgments, and these are simply some of the practices of companies that I consider successful. So let's get started. The first thing I notice in successful companies is that they all seem to be on having a, a mission, or as I prefer to think of it, as an adventure. Successful companies have a clear vision of where they're going, and so do the majority of their employees. Beyond outdated and never looked at mission statements, you can easily see employees as they continue on this adventure and how they go about their daily task, from an entry-level warehouse or salesperson to the top-level C-suite employees. They all seem to understand where the company's going, and just as importantly, they understand their particular role in this unique adventure. Another commonality in successful companies I see is a true team orientation. It's true that the word team is overused and often applied where it's just simply not the case. But successful organizations find a way to work in a collegiate style approach or atmosphere, sharing information ideas freely and caring that it's primarily the company, the whole company, that is getting credit for the results. And also having people with the right skill sets at the right time is another important quality we see in successful organizations. What I mean by that is the skill sets required to make a startup successful are very, very different than those required by large multinational leader type brands. Successful organizations have the right people with the right skill sets just when and where they need them. Then those people know what their responsibilities are and their goals are. Leaders of successful organizations make it clear where the goal line is and when the organization needs to get there. They also do a great job at rewarding those who help the company achieve those goals. The next common quality I see in successful companies is that of communication. Every company talks about communication and they also talk about how important it is, but often that communication that they do is stiff and more of a CYA way. That's cover your ass for those who may not be familiar with that term, CYA. Successful companies generally are long on informal communication and then use the more formal communication, the emails and memos and such, to document and keep good records of what's happening. Lots of great informal communication is one of those signs that I see that in companies 
where I know there's a lot of trust and great teamwork going on inside the organization. Companies on a strong growth trajectory often have great informal communication and probably need to strengthen their more formalized communications a bit. However, sales and profit growth can take precedent in these types of environments. Continued growth, though, requires a great balance of both formal and informal communication. The best successful organizations do both very well. Speaking of growth and scaling, good organizations understand that growth and scaling to larger and higher levels is a high energy activity. It requires extraordinary efforts and is likely to be a 24-7 job. Companies in these situations are moving fast and no two days are the same. But remember, it's not really a job, it's an adventure. The ability to accept and embrace change is a major component of successful organizations. And finally, successful organizations evolve and develop, both individually and as a team. That's critical because successful organizations require working closely together, often with people you rarely see in person. So developing long-term trusting relationships with coworkers and then learning and growing from those relationships, it's really important. Many of us spend more time with our work colleagues than with our own families. So evolving and developing is critical to maintaining the team orientation that we spoke about earlier. Successful companies don't just happen, quote unquote. They take hard work, often very hard work. It also takes a knowledge of what it takes to be successful in an organization, and then a commitment to making that happen. Companies can achieve success in a wide variety of ways, but successful organizations that we see in hospitality always seem to have some of these same common qualities. So what do you think? Did we miss a quality or two? Let us know if you think we did. Well, that's it, everybody. That wraps up today's Seat Yourself podcast. I want to thank Shannon Talon for joining us. And of course, I especially want to thank you, our listeners, for joining in today. And finally, I want to thank the Edward Don and Company for sponsoring, in part, this episode of Seat Yourself. Edward Don and Company, everything but the food for nearly 100 years. Thanks, as always, for joining us for this edition of Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast. We will be taking a break over the Christmas and New Year's holidays and returning rested and ready with our next episode on Monday, January 7th. Until then, remember, as Dave says, Tabletop matters. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays, everyone.